Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. I'm your host, Matthias Wadner, with my co-host, as always, Will Lomas. And we're back to recap the Titans game against the Chiefs, preview their game against the Broncos, and also talk about some of the goings-on within the AFC South division, really only the Colts. And I think I think that's where we have to start off because— the biggest storyline for the Titans is obviously, you know, they lost to the Chiefs in, in overtime, and we're going to get to that. But in the midst of all this, I think this happened on Monday, maybe, or Tuesday. I can't even remember at this point. The, the days are kind of melding uh, together. But the Colts, who are in full-on panic mode, just have no idea what they're doing. Jim Ursay has gone completely loose cannon, just completely rogue, doing whatever he wants to do. They fired Frank Reich after a, a very poor start to the season, which we kind of all saw coming, except for everyone that's not a Titans fan. I mean, we we all saw this coming, but, you know, uh, I guess no one else did. But anyway, they fired Frank Reich uh, after they're kind of eliminated from playoff contention, uh, after benching Matt Ryan, uh, and after firing their, their OC, who was, like, kind of scapegoated. And instead of hiring anyone anyone on their current coaching staff as the interim head coach which by the way they have several several candidates there john fox is their former head coach gus bradley former head coach i know like it didn't end well for them but at least they have head coaching experience um they hired jeff saturday who he was like doing analyst work i think with espn or something just sitting on his couch uh, has no head coaching experience outside of a high school, I think. And Jim Ursay just is buddies with him, and, and he hires him as their next interim head coach. Uh, bypassing, by the way, Reggie Wayne, who's on the coaching staff, uh, who is also a, a, a Colt great and actual, actually has NFL head coaching experience, not head coaching experience, but I think he's been the wide receivers coach for the past couple seasons. Just a complete cataclysmic disaster in Indianapolis. Yeah. There's so many, like you said, so many things there. Like it, it's hard, like the, it's hard to comment on each individual one. This First, happened in like one day. This happened it, in like one day. It's it, crazy. It, like, and did we even talk about how they, the offensive play caller is now the guy who is basically what stretches for the Titans, where he's like a personal assistant to the head coach that, they're like a 30 year old or something that they were just like, now you're our offensive coordinator because they fired everybody else. Like it, it's crazy. So there's so many things. Uh, I, the Ursay press conference is fantastic because he's so fully convicted in a bunch of words that don't make any sense together. Like 
I mean, one day they'll do like a, you know, top 10 NFL list on it. But the things that stick out to me immediately are when he said, uh, I don't know how to build sausage, but uh, I know how to hire like winning NFL coaches. Or there's, he was talking about how he never uh, hired an NFL coach that didn't win, which I don't know if that's true, but I was surprised that Frank Reich did have a winning record when he was fired. Uh, and then he called Chris Ballard a winner. Chris Ballard does not have a winning record as GM. So that is, you know, categorically wrong. But the the big thing is the Saturday stuff, because in this world we live in now where Twitter is halfway verified, halfway not, this seemed like one of those things where surely somebody had gotten tricked. And I just watched Twitter and then I got the alerts and I was like, oh, whoever said this is getting people bad. And it was just true. And apparently the way Ursay and Saturday tell it now is that this all happened because during Sunday's game, Saturday texted Jim Ursay and said something along the lines of what's the, what the hell's up with our protection? talking about the offensive line and that domino effect led to him being named the head coach like 48 hours later or or whatever. How did I miss that? How did I miss that? I I, didn't know that that was like what triggered all of this. Yeah. That came out today because they're like, well, no, we didn't, we didn't have any conversations when I I don't know if they were retiring Saturday's Jersey or if it was like a celebration of something or like an anniversary or whatever. I, I don't know what it was, but apparently like there was like a ring of honor or something like that, 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 he was at like in week six, maybe or something. It was like, no, no, we weren't having any conversations about that. No. And then it was like, this all happened because on Sunday, it's just like, I don't know which one I, I would almost rather believe the conspiracy because at least that shows some forethought and planning, you know, the Reggie Wayne of it all gets a lot of attention because, you know, minority candidates and, and the Rooney rule being, basically a joke in the league and like it's just a a box to check off and it's not really causing much change um that's getting a lot of attention and that's that's all fair but the problem isn't that they picked the wrong former player the problem is that ursay thinks that this is a good idea in the first place because it's pure insanity like the ramblings of a lunatic like I don't want his quote again. There's so many different quotes. Like, you know, he even talked about how Michael Jordan was only good because he missed so many shots and and all these other things. But uh, his line of thinking for Jeff Saturday was, I don't want a coach who's already been in the NFL. They've already been, they're already scared and they have to rely on analytics. I don't want a coach that's scared like that. And it's like, like, Ballard, I believe, is somebody who's like big on analytics. I don't know if that's like his. Defi- they have an analytics department, by the way. That's what yeah, made made that gets, even funnier. Yeah, and it gets lauded. I'm sure. I'm sure it's the best. And, and Matt Miller will tweet about it and say that they have 17 guys that are going to be general managers there, whatever. But like to say that in front of Chris Ballard, who has been pro analytics, and just say like that's what scared people do. It's like. Why don't you just fire Chris Ballard? Because he's apparently like not going to fire Chris Ballard, which okay. Like I don't know what the plan is long term. Like I, I assume if you asked him two weeks ago, he wouldn't have said that his next head coach was going to be Jeff Saturday. So I don't know that he necessarily has a plan more than two feet. I think in. he. 
But it seems like he's just going along with it so that he doesn't get fired. But yeah, I, I don't know what the actual plan is for him because I mean I feel like Ursa is just going to fire him if if as soon as something starts going bad again. I mean Ursa thinks that he's Jack Sparrow. Like, he thinks that he's, like, the pirate, like, the cool pirate that, like, he's just sitting in the background waiting, and it's like, okay, it's my turn to save the day. And, like, he thinks he's, like, swooping in, and he's just, like, everybody thinks that this is the right way to do it, but actually, you know, I've been drinking a little bit, and I can see that this is the right way to do it. And he just, like, drunkenly drifts through, like, the entire ship, like, pushing things the wrong way, and people try to fix it behind him, and he's like, I did it, I'm the most notorious captain in the world. And everybody's like, there goes Jim Marseille completely wrecking the franchise again and setting them back. Uh, apparently rumors are coming out that this is kind of what happened with uh, Grigson when they hired him as GM, where there, there were other guys who were more, I, I don't, I guess I don't know the qualifications, but I think that's the, the rumor is that there are plenty more qualified guys, but Jim Marseille just got a wild hair and picked Grigson and, you know, it messed up their frame. Although Grigson was more successful than Ballard. I, I say that with almost no evidence, but Ballard hasn't won the, you know, hasn't been in charge of a team that's won the division yet. And I know Grigson did. So, I mean, even if it's like, well, he had Andrew Luck and it's like, okay, well, you know, Ballard's had seven years or six years or whatever it is. Anyway, uh, the whole thing is just pure insanity. Like, I don't even know what's going to happen next. Like, there's a good chance that they could fire a defensive coordinator and just promote somebody else. Like it's it's the wild west. Can I like Ursay had all the best quotes uh, from this press conference, obviously. But can we talk a little bit about the Chris Ballard quote where he says, "Y'all been kicking the s out of me for not oh, drafting yeah. wideouts, and now we're underperforming on the offensive line." What what is that? What does that even mean? First of all, and what he like, has drafted wideouts though, like he drafted Pierce, he drafted Pittman, he drafted Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell has been like a complete bust. He drafted him way higher than he should have been drafted. Pittman hasn't really taken the next step to superstardom. Pierce looks good, but I mean, and and also like he's at fault for the offensive line. He paid Quentin Nelson a bunch of money, yeah. and now he's not playing well. Uh, he's like constructed the offensive line. The right tackle is an abject disaster. Like, I, I don't, that was such a weird quote to me. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, sure. We didn't quote, get a left tackle to replace the guy that retired. Like, I mean, it's not exactly, like, that's not the quote, but like, it's like, yeah, like you should probably do that. Like you should have a plan in place. Like, and then if it doesn't work, you've got to, you, you've got to face the consequences. Like, the tight, I mean, the Titans have Daly, and that's the only reason they have him is because Taylor Lewan got hurt, and people still like. And I would argue that from left guard to right tackle, the Titans' offensive line is promising slash solid. They just happen to have the worst turnstile of the left tackle in the NFL, and that makes everything more difficult. But you know, like it's, I've said it a bunch. It's hard to build an offensive line, and like he inherited Costanzo when he came in, like as his left tackle, which is a big chip. I, I don't know if he drafted Ryan Kelly or if Ryan Kelly was there, but Ryan Kelly was very much like like Nelson, where it's like, I don't know what the smart decision to make in this draft is, like where uh, the high-value positional player is on this board, so I'm just going to take an offensive lineman. And it's like, that's cool. 
but you did that, you know, twice with Kelly and Nelson, and then everybody called you an offensive line. He genius. didn't. He didn't draft Kelly. He, See, he okay. came in in 2017. He yeah, didn't even I, draft Kelly. I, that's, his, that's thought. his two best O-line draft picks have been Quentin Nelson, who's bad this year, and Braden Smith, who I, I honestly don't even know if he's playing. I couldn't even tell you. And then they, they put him at guard, didn't they? Like he played tackle. Yeah, yeah. It's like all rookie tackle or whatever. And then yeah. they moved him inside the guard. Like, and everybody was like, what a steal. They got Glowinski for the right guard. And then they've got this young kid, Smith, and he's going to be a right tackle for, you know, 10 years. And then they kicked him inside the guard. And now, like, he can't play at all. And it's like, yeah, like uh, they also drafted like Quiddy Pay and the and the guy who who from, from Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt who was yeah. injured instead of going O line, and then this year they draft that Ryman guy who looks like a complete disaster project type of player. Like and they didn't have a first weird, this year, whoa, dude. So weird. Yeah, like and like, they had they Carson Wentz. Oh, just like in Carson Wentz wasn't even the problem. Like. Not that he was the solution, but like you look back on it, it's like they would kill for Carson Wentz right now. Yeah, so um, that was just that was just crazy. What 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 a press conference! Truly, truly one for the Bucks, and, and you really love to see it after all the praise that the Colts kept getting, all the hype that they kept getting. See, uh, off season after off season. And it turns out the reason that they were even winning games was the guy they just fired. Frank Reich was kind of the reason that they even kept winning games. And Matt Eberflus, who was one of the better defensive coordinators for the past couple of seasons uh, before he left for a head coaching job with the Bears, they were kind of the reasons that they were even in in, in these games, in these divisions, uh, while Chris Ballard was playing musical chairs with quarterbacks and Jim Mersey is, I don't know, doing cocaine and stuff. I, I don't know. What a... What an organization they've got going on there. But you love to see it because it's yeah. just better for the Titans. I mean, it's going to help them kind of keep a vice grip on the division for the foreseeable future. The good news is that Matt Ryan, 38-year-old Matt Ryan, who's on the bench with an injury, is uh, costs $35 million in cap next year, and $18 million of it's guaranteed. So, like... I don't. I mean, I guess they're stuck with Matt Ryan another year. Like they're going. I mean, they're going back. They have to go back to him. Ellinger sucks. Like that guy can't play quarterback. So, well, Tony Dungy's out here saying like, why don't you play Nick Foles? And it's like that's what they needed was another name in the quarterback fire. What is the dif- What is the difference between Nick Foles and Matt Ryan? They're the same person. Yeah, like, I don't like. It's like total that. chaos. And like now everybody like it's. A string of like you can see the Chris Ballard guys in the media who are like, uh, it, this is like crazy. Chris Ballard has no chance to succeed. You got to keep him around another year. And like even those guys are starting to be like, uh, well, Chris Ballard will get another chance someday. Like, I mean, like even they have to like fall back because it's just so chaotic. Yeah, uh, amazing stuff. Uh, we're gonna take an ad break here, and then when we come back, we're gonna break down uh, the game against the Chiefs and then the game against the. Broncos as well.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. On Sunday Night Football, the Titans, with Malik Willis at quarterback, uh, ended up falling to the Kansas City Chiefs 20-17 to in Kansas City. Uh, I think they outperformed their expectations. I thought they were going to get absolutely smoked, uh, especially coming in with a backup quarterback who really did not play overly well in the game against the Texans, even though he didn't get too many opportunities. Uh, you could see that he was still very green um, and, and needed to improve a lot even week to week. Um, but Malik... Wills played pretty well in this game, to be honest, and the Titans probably should have put it away, which is crazy. Um, hating into Kansas City just with with a backup quarterback, that's not supposed to happen against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid off a bye. Uh, so the fact that they, that they were even in it was kind of miraculous, honestly, and, and they should have won that game. Like, they had so many opportunities to put that game away when they were up 17-9, to in the third quarter and even in the early fourth quarter, but man, the offense just, just absolutely nothing. And Derrick Henry, who was having an incredible game in the first half ends up with only 17 carries in this one. Granted a lot of that is because they kept falling behind uh, in the chains because of uh, penalties and mistakes. But man, that was like really frustrating. Like at, at halftime, I was like, I felt really good because they were playing very well and I wasn't expecting them to, but then you're left with a terrible taste in your mouth because they should have won the game. Yeah. So let's start with the Malik Willis of it all, because they did him a a really, a really bad disservice because they showed that he could be a good quarterback, like, and that they, that there was a way to use him. And then they pulled that out from under him. And I, I don't think anybody blames the loss on Malik Willis, but th- this should have been a game where he went out and made a statement where it's like, okay, I'm not the quarterback for right now, but I can be the quarterback for the future. And he showed flashes of that. I think. Yeah. Like, Small you know, flashes. If you know, a lot of people have said different things where it's like if Kyle Phillips was healthy, they win that game. If Traylon Burks was healthy, they win that game. And like if Tannehill's healthy, they win that game. And you know, if Lawan's healthy, like if Harold Landry's healthy, you know, Bud Dupree stays healthy. If any of their guys just, you know, if they just aren't cataclysmically injured, they win that game. But uh, you know, even then, it went to overtime, and it was because they didn't let Derrick Henry touch the ball in the second half. I mean, it 
it, it's it's it sucked to watch because like you said like the expectation was prime time the chiefs are coming off of a bye at home you know it's buffalo part two except this time you don't have your starting quarterback and you know the the books out on what you're going to do you're just going to run the ball over and over and really for the first half that's what they did and then todd downing did what todd downing does and he like i see jim white go to bat for him and talk about how you know he's made been made an easy scapegoat but it's a lot of people doing different things wrong and okay i mean maybe like for for argument's sake let's say yeah you know there were some good play designs in there and you know Conley didn't catch a pass and Nick Westbrook Aquina didn't catch a pass, you know, deep down the sideline, all that kind of, yeah. Okay. But how can you defend Derrick Henry averaging 10 yards a carry in the first half? And then with an eight point lead, you just don't feature him at all. Like, I don't care if it's, I don't care if you start every possession off first and 20, you have to get, I mean, you have to let him keep trying to attack. So I would have given him three straight carries once the offense started completely stalling. Because you had a better chance of Henry ripping off a long run than one of these receivers catching a pass, honestly. Then tight end screens to Jeff Swain, which is what he was like. It's so aggravating because it's got to be like every, you know, it started out as halfway a conspiracy, halfway like, wouldn't this be funny? But there's such a wide like gap between the success of the scripted plays and the non-scripted plays in the first half and the second half, like to the point now where it's not even like funny. It's just obvious that there is a discrepancy in what's happening. And the only discrepancy that could possibly be there is once things start changing, Todd Downing does not know how to attack what's working and keep utilizing that. And he does like, he does not understand how to run an offense. It, it's it's as simple as that. Now, you can say the reason why the scripted plays work is because Todd Downing has time to think and plan and do that. Okay. I don't think that's true, but okay. But the much more likely explanation is the Tim Kelly stuff where, you know, Todd Downing is who we thought Todd Downing was. And the only difference is the time where Tim Kelly gets real input in the offense. And, you know, that's why you're seeing screens to tight end screens to Chig for 50 yards in the first half. And then you're seeing tight end screens to Jeff Swain, where he doesn't even know he's supposed to release in the second half. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how many times we have to like actually go through the Todd Downing thing. <laughs> it is the same thing every single week. The first half, the offense looks good to great the second half the offense looks like the 32nd ranked offense in the league which it is actually it's actually i think it's the 32nd scoring offense in the league uh or total offense i can't really remember but i mean we're just we've all gone insane if we if we think that anything is is going to change for the rest of the season it's not even if Tannehill was back there i don't know if i don't know if that game changes do you think it? Do you think if Tannehill plays quarterback in that game, that the Titans win? Yeah, uh, yeah. I do don't you? think it's close. Yeah, because I think there's times when he overrules Todd Downing. Like I think there's times where it, he just makes different calls, or you know, in the two minute drill when they needed to get points up and he's calling plays at the line. Like 
they they moved the ball well during those. Like and and they had a chance to do that with Malik Willis and couldn't do that. So yeah, I mean, I also don't think the middle of the field was very very used in terms of pass. I like I haven't seen a heat map, but like my Dude, Malik, I, I've seen the heat maps. Malik Willis, he just does not throw the ball uh, in the middle of the field. It's yeah, like, like it's like Russell Wilson uh, 2.0. Yeah, like which is great, but the you know the whole argument for this for six months has been. Malik Willis is a great prospect. He needs time. He needs weapons on the outside. And he needs a team that isn't this one, like right now. Because, you know, they very much want to throw, you know, Vrabel's, if he has an MO, it's he likes passes over the middle. Like, he likes to hit those check. you know, it, he's not really a dial it up deep down the sideline kind of guy. Or, or at least that's never been featured. So, I don't know. It's, it's if all they're hard. if they're going into next year with Malik as a potential starting quarterback, then they need to make the move to Tim Kelly. There, there's there's no way that, that he could like he it, like yeah I know they should do it anyway I know like that's like it if they want to succeed with Malik Willis they need to stop shooting themselves in the foot. It's like yeah they should stop doing that no matter who's the quarterback. Like that's the problem is you know they're. There is so little room for success in this offense. And it it honestly comes from the top down. It comes from Vrabel. Like, you can hear it when he talks, where his goal in every game is to make games absolute fist fights, and then at the end for somebody to pull away. Like, he probably hated the game that they played against Miami last year where the Titans won 35-7 to or 35-0 to or whatever that score was. <laughs> I can imagine him I mean, being miserable while we're up 30 yeah. points. <laughs> he doesn't want it. Like, he want he wants the M.O. to be, we're so physical. Like, we'll, we'll take 10 rounds and, you know, whoever whoever survives at the end survives. He doesn't want a first-round knockout. Like, it, it's just not it, – he doesn't know how to deal with it, and I don't know why. But, he, like, I just don't get it. Like – I think that's why they run the ball so I mean, like, you look at the number of plays, like, no team in the NFL runs fewer plays or has fewer plays run against them in a given game than the Titans. Like, Titans games feature the fewest number of plays of any teams in the league because they want it to be as close as possible. And they don't they don't want explosive plays. Like, that's the, the play calls are not – like, he would rather have – and I bet I bet if you gave him truth serum, he would admit this if he wouldn't already do it. But I he wants a 12 play eight minute drive or or whatever, a six minute drive. And he wants it to grind out and he wants there to be two passes and he wants them to both be to tight ends who get four yards. And he wants to score on a, either a bootleg quarterback keeper or a dive straight up the middle. Like that's what Mike Frabel is. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's gotten the Titans to where they are in terms of their winning percentage, but it they, there will never be these statistical giants in the passing game. Like, your statistical giant is if you have a running back who can withstand the workload and you don't have to do it by committee, and that's what they have in Henry, and that's why he's averaging 100 yards a game, is because that they want to ride him and ride the running game all the way. Like, that, that's... It doesn't matter if you have nine in the box. He you, he's going to put, 
you know, eight in the box and try to run it at you. And, you know, it's aggravating because, you know, you look at some of the bootleg plays and it's like, yeah, like that bootleg is open all the time. If you'll just run it and they'll run three times in the first half and they won't run it again. So it's, it's such a aggravating cycle or like what you can call it a cluster. You can call it a cycle because it's, it's a lot of the same issues over and over and over again. So it's like lack of play action, lack of second half creativity that makes any sort of sense, like a lack of featuring your playmakers. Like we're going to see Traylon Burks this weekend. And I I tweeted it this morning, but we're going to see him this weekend and, we're going to hear how he looks great in practice. And then he's going to run 20 snaps and five of them are going to be as a kick return, like at blocking for kick returns. And 12 of them are going to be run blocks. And then four of them are going to be pass like pass plays where it's just a small dump off to somebody else. Like it's going to be so aggravating because everybody's going to say, well, that first run rookie is not really doing it, doing anything for the Titans. And it's like, well, he's doing as much as most of their other receivers because they don't know what they're doing with their offensive personnel. So, until Todd Downing's gone, it's just going to be infuriating. Yeah, it's it's just really frustrating because we know what these players can do when healthy. And I know it's not the same players that we had with Arthur Smith when he was the offensive coordinator, but it's the same quarterback. It's the same running back. It's generally the same type of talent, but there is just no way that Todd Downing can, can do what – Arthur Smith was doing through the air like the running game looks fine but even in this game he Todd Downing goes away from it so this dude just has no feel just no feel uh for in-game decision making and in-game play calling and his passing game scheme just does not just not does not work so it's it's very frustrating and yeah like I'm excited to see Traylon Burks back on the field but like you said I don't know how much we're going to get from him. I, I don't know if they're even going to try to feature him. I mean, Robert Woods, <laughs> Robert Woods doesn't exist in this offense. It's crazy. And I don't know if some of that is due to, you know, coming back from the ACL. I don't think so. I think he's looked fine when he's actually gotten an opportunity to uh, to catch the ball and get targeted, but they don't use him. They would rather use Jeff Swaim and it che- Chig gets a 48-yard unbelievable catch and run on a screen never to be heard from again for the entire game. Hello? Yeah, like, try to get your guys the ball. This is It's the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing. And instead, uh, they're out here running go routes to Cody freaking Hollister, who can't turn his head around. Uh, and then these guys are, are, like, run blocking when they're supposed to be— uh, when, when they're supposed to be running a, a screen. I, I don't—I'm— I'm sick of it, but nothing's going to change. So there's really no point uh, in, in getting too upset about it. So let's focus on a little bit uh, of the bright side now that we've reamed Todd Downing for the millionth time. Uh, the defense, just an absolutely insane performance given uh, everything, given the fact that this game was in Kansas City, given the fact that they're facing Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid off a of bye, an offense that had just scored 44 points uh, before the bye against the San Francisco 49ers. And this defense was just insanely good. Like they completely held the the Chiefs in so many drives, either held them to field goals or just 
didn't allow them to to get anything going. And I know Patrick Mahomes threw for 446 yards, but he threw the ball 68 times. It's not even that that impressive. It was 6.6 yards per attempt, which is like below league average. So it, it was just such an amazing performance, especially the pass rush, getting the Mahomes uh, four times, consistently getting pressure. And the secondary was just clamping down on everything. I loved how aggressive they were. Uh, granted, I mean, they, they got, they got, uh, they got a couple of defensive calls, like holding calls or, or, or PI or, or whatever it was, but I don't care. I would rather they, you know, try to frustrate, uh, the offense and they absolutely did. Travis Kelsey was about to cry on the field. It seemed like at one point and, and the rest of their receivers really couldn't do much. Juju was like a, a five to eight yard type of, uh, receiver and everything else was just so short. So, Man, just massive shout-out to Shane Bone and the defense, uh, especially because how many plays were they on the field? Like 90 or something like that? Yeah, I think it was 100. 100. Yeah. Just absolutely insane. And it, it kind of makes me a little bit nervous uh, about this Broncos game because that is just a lot of a lot of snaps for, uh, for those defensive players. I hope they get all type of rest days during this week uh, so, they're, so they're okay for the Broncos game. But... I mean, this defense looks just as good uh, as the one we got last year uh, that almost won the Titans a playoff game by themselves. Yeah, like, you know, and Ryan Stonehouse needs some credit, too, just because of how well he's played through, I don't know, what is it, eight games at this point when we're five and three. So, like, he's putting them in good positions with good punts and good coverage and, you know, special teams are doing work. But, yeah, like even with Jeffrey Simmons banged up, like, and who knows if he plays this week, just because he's got, you know, they said he's got an ankle thing. Like he's in a walking boot, like, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, even like I, this group is really, really good. And they did it without Elijah Molden and they did it without Amani hooker. So, you know, hopefully you get those guys back this week. We'll see what happens, but, that would be nice to have those two fresh bodies, but yeah, like uh, the D- McCreary and Fulton looked really good. The, the double coverage that they had, like you said on Kelsey, he was so frustrated and to the point where they tried to design that easy pass to him and he got bumped on the line of scrimmage and, you know, turned around like a little late and then it, the pass went off his hands and McCreary picked it. And it's like, he was so frustrated. He threw his helmet and it just, you know, lost his mind. So I, all the credit in the world of the Titans defense and Shane Bowen and calling a really good game. Like it, there was no way if, if that game has any sort of competence on the other side of the ball, then we're talking about a win. Like the defense deserved to win that game. And that sucks. And, you know, Derek Henry went and shook every defender's hand after the game. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know if he apologized or if he just, talk to him or what but that's that's what's going around and you know why is he apologizing should be the offensive coordinator yeah that's apologizing. yeah he should say i'm sorry that todd downing didn't give me the ball like i hate that for you because like we've already talked about this just on the defense like Danico autry had a two-sack game uh i believe walker had a two-sack game too uh edwards he had one he had one and edwards had one Mario Edwards, oh my God, he looked amazing in this game. Yeah, I mean, like, 
these guys like are you know we hear about those two how they've got good chemistry blah 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 then all of a sudden last night you know they have to step up and play and they do great like i mean they look you know there's no drop off and that's good like that will serve the titans later it's just you know this defense even when they're banged up tired and missing like you think about it you're missing your starting slot defender from last year you're starting free safety in or yeah i would call him a free safety in Amani hooker slash another slot corner and uh harold landry like that's that's a like that's more than a lot of starting defenses are missing now and you miss those against Patrick Mahomes and he throws it 70 times and you still put up this kind of performance. I mean, they did great. Like it bodes well for the re- for the Titans and the rest of the season and all that. But just this one individual performance was great by everybody. Yeah. I- incredible stuff. They're just playing so well together. And I mean, their run defense is on like a historical pace. Like teams aren't even trying uh, to run the ball against them anymore because they know they're not going to get anything. Like the Chiefs just completely abandoned uh, the run completely, and it was probably for the better because they were getting absolutely nothing. Uh, Tier Tart, Naquan Jones, whoever's in there, they're just going to completely bottle that up, um, and that just really allows uh, you to focus in on, on other parts of, of the other team's offense. So, shout out Shane Bowen. Just he's done an. Um, do you do you remember when we used to talk about Shane Bowen like he was? the worst person in the yeah. world back, back we when, thought he was uh, terrible back when yeah. mike Vrabel was like pretending that shane bowen was the defensive coordinator yep. and then he was like actually shane bowen is our defensive coordinator and we're bringing in jim schwartz and then it's like oh it's crazy how this defense looks nothing like what you ran last year that's so strange as if somebody else was calling it yeah so uh good for him i i think he might get some head coaching shouts this offseason i don't think he'll actually get a job yet he's a little bit too uh too green i think and i think he's still best 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 set for a defensive coordinator role so hopefully we have him for a couple more seasons but yeah um, and if you're going to be a defensive coordinator you've got to be like lighten up all the nerd metrics like you've got to have like the dvoa like you have to have all the set like you have to be just blowing it up because somebody has to be able to justify why this defensive coordinator is, you know, the, the next guy. Yeah. Uh, like Brandon Staley, who just says a lot of cool things, yeah. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> might not actually be a good coach. Um, but anyway, uh, the last thing I want to talk about uh, for this game is I see this a lot on Twitter and I think it's worth discussing because I think both of us, well, obviously you're a a bigger supporter of John Robinson, I would say, than I am. I still think he's a very above average GM, uh, especially when you consider some of the GMs uh, around the NFL. But a lot of people are kind of blaming him for a lot of the team's faults right now, and especially in this last game where Nick Westbrook-Akine and Cody Hollister are pretty much the top two receivers um, although Robert Woods was out there, but not getting targeted as much as Cody Hollister uh, and Nick Westbrook-Akine. Uh, and, and people are, are blaming John Robinson for that. They think that the wide receiver room should have been more addressed. This is tough for me because I do feel like they should have made maybe one more move. But I'm also conscious of the fact that they drafted two receivers. They just happen uh, to be hurt, and I don't really know what that has to do with the general manager, especially when we've seen 
so many of these players get injured, some of them not not even draft picks of John Robinson, because like the strength and conditioning staff sucks. <laughs> like we've talked about this. I don't want to rehash uh, that discussion, but I don't think you could blame the GM for the injuries. And Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips were looking like really solid picks and really solid contributors early in the season or in the preseason going into the season. Uh, and then, I mean, he made the trade for Robert Woods. It hasn't really worked out, but what would have worked out? Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know what receiver we would have needed to to bring in that would have performed because even A.J. Brown, when he, he was here, he had a lot of production, but there were games where he just didn't do anything. And imagine him in this Todd Downing offense. Like, I don't, I just... I don't know. It, it, it's tough for me because I do think he could have done maybe a little bit more, but I also know that it's not all his fault. I think a lot of it has to do with the offense itself and the fact that some of these players are, are just injured. Yeah, you know, early in the season when they had, we'll start with the one, the one game where they had everybody healthy, where they had Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Robert Woods, when they had those three healthy. They were the most explosive pass offense in the NFL. They had seven passes that went for 20 yards or more. So, and and that wasn't even, like, Robert Woods didn't even have any of those. It was, I believe, was it four to Phillips? No. I'm not, I'm not sure. I should I should have had this in front of me. I, I didn't look it up. But, the, like, I know they led the NFL in pass, like, explosive pass offense. So, there's that. Then Kyle Phillips gets hurt when he, you know, makes that tough catch for another 20-yard catch, goes out of bounds, falls on his shoulder funny. You know, he gets hurt. Okay. You know, then he's out. Then he comes back and he plays a very small amount of the Colts game, and then Traylon Burks gets turf toe and he's out. And then it's like – it's so aggravating to blame it on the strength and conditioning staff and injuries, but – it's also aggravating to have these things because it name another team that's lost their starting two receivers and has a better number two. Like if they have everybody healthy again on a run first team, you've got Traylon Burks. Good. Robert Woods. Good. Kyle Phillips. Good. Like, I mean, in the one game he was in, I think he led the Titans in receiving yards and I believe he was, either first or second in all rookies in receiving yards during week one. It's a small sample size, but it's the, you know, it's the only time we've seen him healthy. So there's that. Then you have Austin Hooper, who's looked good the last few weeks. Chigakonkwa, who just had a 50 yard reception and the Titans refused to throw it to him again. You know, these guys aren't getting the targets. The guys that are getting targets are Jeff Swaim and Cody Hollister and Nick Westbrook Akine and and Vrabel likes them. I think that's yeah, something that well, we have to talk about. Yeah. So it's like you know who would be a really good other receiver right now? Josh Reynolds, who's doing good stuff in Detroit. Like, I mean, he is a factor in Detroit's Khalif Raymond is doing some things in Detroit yeah. too. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But it's like Josh Reynolds, they had like he was in their pocket and Todd, and first of all, one of two things happened. He was banged up early in the season and in training camp. Surprise, surprise, that there was another Titans receiver that was injured here. 
And then Todd Downing, when he was healthy, couldn't figure out a way to use him. So he walked and he's been healthy for the most part in Detroit and effective for the most part in Detroit. It's like there's these perfect test cases of here's a here's a player. Here he is in the Titans offense. You know, he's hurt. I mean, you can even say A.J. Brown. You can say he was hurt and underutilized last year in his one year with Todd Downing. And then now that he's in Philadelphia, he's not hurt. He's getting more of a workload. He's putting up good numbers. Like, yeah, like there's such a clear example one, example two. And people are like, no, I'm pretty sure it's the guy that drafted A.J. Brown and it's the guy that signed Josh Reynolds. It's the problem. And it's like we can have our discussion on whether or whether that those are the only two options because that's what happened. But A.J. Brown like pushed his way out or whatever. And whether that was the right thing to do, you know, that's a discussion for a different day. But the talent acquisition portion is not not a problem. It's the health and the usage that's the problem. So, that, like, it, it's going to be another offseason where, you know, what? how do you look at this team? Like, do you look at this team and say, okay, they've got Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, and Robert Woods. Do you do you go into the offseason assuming that those three are all going to get hurt next year? Because if so, then you should probably spend some big resources in your wide receiver four and five. But if not, I mean, are you going to spend a first round pick on a wide receiver four? Like, what do you do at left tackle? So, okay, if you spend a first round pick on left tackle, are you going to spend a second round pick on a wide receiver four? Or do you maybe look at, you know, guard? You you know, it it just I it's a hard thing. Like, I don't envy John Robinson to be in this kind of position because no matter what he thinks like or what he does, he ends up playing 70, 80, 90 players a year now. And it's like you can't build that kind of depth like you're going to have an area that glares where you don't have enough talent because three of those guys are on the on IR. So it's got to be aggravating for him. It's aggravating for me. And the longer you're a GM, the more times you can look back and say, oh, well, he missed on this pick. Like Fulton had a really good game and he's been playing really well and his stats are like. You know, he's one of the best uh, cornerbacks. PFF had a stat, which we hate PFF, but their percentage stats instead of their, like, arbitrary number stats are interesting. Like, their, like, uh, completion percentage allowed and, like, single coverage, that kind of stuff. And he had a high grade in that this week, and I retweeted it, and I said, with the SpongeBob font, where I said, tell me about John Robinson's misses. You know, and everybody and I had people saying, you know, Isaiah Wilson and Isaiah Wilson. Yeah, like he was terrible. Nobody defends Isaiah Wilson. But then I had people saying uh, Kevin Dodd. And I'm like, Kevin Dodd was half a decade ago and he was a second round pick. Like I like that. That can't be your second name. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm not Luke, so I can't really like push back too hard on the John Robinson stuff because I really do think he's a very good GM. I think he's done a great job. Uh, has he had misses? Of course, of course. What GM hasn't had misses? And it might be that lately he's had a little bit more than than the past. But 
I mean, this draft class was a return to form, in my opinion. This draft class is awesome. Like, almost every single one of them is going to play uh, a role in this team this season, except for maybe, like, Theo Jackson and Chance Campbell. Um, but they look like guys that could possibly, you know, stay on the roster for the next couple of seasons. And everyone else is playing a pretty important role. Malik Willis has already started two games, um, and I think he's better than Logan Woodside. Uh, Petit Freer is a starter. McCreary is a starter. Brooks is a starter when healthy. So is Kyle Phillips. Uh, Conquo, every time he gets the ball, he looks explosive. And Hassan Haskins, although he hasn't really gotten too many carries, he's one of our better special teams players right now. He is actually making an impact. Uh, He did in this Chiefs game. He had a really good special teams tackle, um, had a couple of decent returns as well. um, And the players really seem to like him a lot. So I I don't know. Like, yeah, I I think he could probably churn the bottom of, of the wide receiver depth chart a little more. But I think he's handicapped. I think he's handicapped by the fact that Mike Rabel and Todd Downing, for whatever reason, really like NWI and they really like Cody Hollister. I think NWI is fine as like a wide receiver five or, or wide receiver six, maybe um, as like a pure blocker and really can't do much uh, in terms of actually receiving. Cody Hollister shouldn't be on a roster, but it's clear that the coaching staff likes him because if not, I feel like they would have made a move for a veteran receiver that's probably a worse blocker, uh, but better in the actual passing game. So it's just tough for me. I, I really don't know um, what what is all going on there. And, and I think both sides, both the, the front office and the actual coaching staff, uh, can take some blame in, in terms of the wide receiver depth chart and the fact that some of these low-talent guys are getting so many snaps. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback off of that, like, I almost wish that John Robinson would just come out and say, look, in, in a joint conference with Mike Frable, and they'd say, look, we've done all we're doing at wide receiver. Like, we, we are a run-first team, and we're going to commit to that. And they just draft four well, linemen back-to-back-to-back. To back to back because That's what I was going to say, because, like, it's very clearly that John Robinson and – Mike Rabel are like they work hand in hand. So John Robinson is going to draft the players that fit Mike Rabel's philosophy, right? Right. I mean, like, like with Rashad, we were with uh, Rashawn Evans and Dean Pease. Like, there's a reason why Dean Pease found Rashawn Evans on the free agent market and brought him in. He's starting now. Like that. Like John Robinson knows the types of players that that these coaches are looking for, and you know. You know, say what you want, but there's a reason why a lot of them end up on other teams. I mean, there's been a bunch of stories today about how Austin Johnson being out for the Chargers is bad. And uh, Austin Johnson was like, everybody thought he was a bust when he was here. I mean, he's been in the league for like eight years or whatever now. Like, I mean, he's been a good defensive tackle around the league. Like, Daquan Jones has been like, and Daquan Jones wasn't a, a Robinson draft pick, but he was somebody that he signed and emphasized and all that so the the reason i bring all them up is like okay what is this team going to be next year because jim white's already saying that malik willis is starting in 2024 at the most or at the earliest like so it's not going to be next year okay so next year you've got henry under contract you've got all the you know you can see all those guys do you just fully commit to say, look, we've got Hilliard, 
behind Henry, and we've also got Haskins. So let's just completely load up on offensive line, and then nobody will care about our wide receivers because maybe they'll just understand that we're a running team and they'll stop putting up stats because we don't really care about that. Because, I mean, that's all we've talked about this episode is how much that's what Vrabel wants his team to be. So, I like, I don't know. Because you get the problem where you're going to have weak spots on a depth chart no matter who you are. Like, sometimes you can, like, trade future picks or, like, you get lucky and you have rookies at certain positions and you look better than you are. But everybody in the league is two injuries at wide receiver away from being in trouble. I mean, look at what happened to the uh, Bengals when they lost Jamar Chase. Like, they're like unless they're playing against uh, the Panthers, like they're a pedestrian offense. So, uh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't compare Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips to Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, but can you imagine if if they lost two yeah. of their top three receivers? Yeah, I mean. Their offense is in the tank. It's how it works. Yeah. And it's like, and they are, like, they already have T. Higgins and, like, I mean, like, they've got other people, but it. It's just like it's just hard to do. Like it we're we're always gonna see the Titans at a disadvantage because of one, the style of offense they play, and two, their strength and conditioning. And I mean, the Todd Downing of it all is over everything. But the injuries and just the style they play does not lend itself to big stats. So, you know, it, it's it's hard because People want to see Pro Bowls by by names when you draft players. Like that's like that's what people do. And Pro Bowls go to the most televised people and the people that are most recognized from fantasy teams. And you know when you're not those guys, you know if you get like how good was Harold Landry before last year? Like he was good. Like he's always been good. And it, Luke has been Luke was in a similar boat where Luke would talk about how it's like, yeah, but he didn't have sacks. It's like the dude plays off ball linebacker and drops into coverage. And, you know, he does everything like, you know, he's great. And luckily, the Titans have built around him and were ready to sustain his loss. But I mean, he was finally turning into a superstar, but it was the sacks that got him the Pro Bowl. You know, it, it was the sacks in the one seat. It wasn't his work in the run game or all the other stuff he was doing that was really making him a really good player. So it, it's all a lot of talk to say the end result, you should be judged on how many games you're, you know, how many games your team wins, how many of your players are developing should be more on your coaches. Because if you draft an Adoree Jackson and he basically gets kicked out because Mike Vrabel says he doesn't like him being hurt and they, they disagree. And then Adoree goes on and plays really good football for the New York giants. That shouldn't count as a miss on John Robinson's resume. That should count as maybe, maybe Vrabel should have slowed his role a little bit, but it's, it's all, you know, it's all one big puzzle. Like there's never going to be a perfect roster who stays perfectly healthy. You're going to have to have coaches who elevate guys, but I I just, I don't know how anybody can look at this roster and look at the game that they played against Kansas city and say, Oh, that's just a great gritty performance by this team. It's like, no, they're a talented team. Like 
There's a reason why Roger McCreary had an interception because he was a good evaluation. There's a reason why Fulton is great in one-on-one coverage because he was a great evaluation. There's a reason why Danico Autry is, you know, wreaking havoc. It's because it was a great free agency signing. Like there's a reason why Simmons, like you can go down the roster and it's all people that have been picked at, you know, even David Long, like Mike Vrabel refused to play David Long for so like he was clearly better than Rashawn Evans as as a second. I remember guy. We, we were calling for it for we years. For it, like for him to take Evans off the field or to rotate with Jayon or something, and we said it for years. And now that he's playing, everybody's like, "Huh, this David Long guy." I tell you, Mike Vrabel really gets it. It's like, no, he doesn't, or else he would have been playing as soon as Rashawn Evans punched that guy in Denver at two years ago in two thousand. Uh, and got ejected, it would have been David Long's job from there on out. But it wasn't like, it, you know, no offense to Will Compton, but it was a bunch of Will Compton dudes like they all played over David Long. And it it's so aggravating to watch the Matt Dickerson's, David Questenberry's, you know, Rashawn Evans's like watch those guys come and just be bad football players. while good football players sit behind them and then just say like, well, this guy's been sitting on the bench and it turns out Mike Frabel really developed him. It's like, no, you know, Robinson went out, found tear tart and brought him in and signed, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's just, it's such a hard argument to make because you can't put it in a tweet long, uh, you know, like one simple tweet, but this team would, I'm not saying they would tank if Robinson wasn't here because they've got a good foundation and they've got good players now, but you would notice the drop off in three or four years with all these league average classes. And everybody would say like, wow, I wish we were nine and seven or nine and eight again. Yeah. Lest, lest we not forget uh, the Rustin Webster years. Like that's what a, that's what a bad GM looks like. We really don't want to get back to that. So everyone calling for, John Robinson's head. Be be careful. Be careful what you wish for. There are some bad GMs in the league, and there have been, uh, and it could tank your entire uh, organization. So, yeah, just uh, be careful with that. Uh, We're going to take one more ad break, then we're going to come back with a quick preview of the Broncos game and stop the nonsense. Welcome back into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. We really don't have too much time here to talk about the Broncos, but... I don't think there is too much to talk about with the Broncos. Like, this is a pretty bad team. Uh, Their offense is severely limited by both their coach and and their quarterback and Russell Wilson, who is having the worst season of his career by far, looks completely lost on the field. Uh, And the offense itself is not helping at all. Uh, I mean, they have scored 16 points, 16 points, 11 points, uh, they exploded for 23 against one of the worst defenses in, in the league, the Raiders. Uh, then they scored nine points, 16, nine, and 21 against the Jaguars in London. I mean, I, I, I don't really know what to say about this Broncos team. I think they're talented on offense. I think Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are really solid wide receiver one and two. I think Melvin Gordon and Latavius have looked pretty solid as running backs this season. Greg Dulcich looks like a really promising uh, rookie tight end, very explosive, but they just cannot score points. And coming up against the Titans defense that they might be gassed, like that's the only thing that that gives me some pause. But if they're playing up to their normal standard and and they're fresh, 
Uh, I don't see this Broncos team scoring more than 17 points, really. Yeah, like, the Broncos are an odd team. Like, they they hit a lot of explosive, not a lot, but they hit a fair amount of explosive plays. And the gaps in between those explosive plays are just bad football. Like, it's just borderline unwatchable. Like, that, that Colts game is what they look like without the explosive plays. Like, just a rough, rough offense. But their defense is really good. But, you know... If Browning, you know, uh, Browning missed uh, practice today and he missed the last game with a hip injury. Gregory uh, did too, right? I think he missed practice as well. He's coming off IR, but I don't think he's going to play. Oh, I, did, I, I hadn't seen Gregory. Um, but I know that uh, Justin Simmons also, uh, I think they said he bumped knees with somebody in the Jaguars game and he didn't play. Like, they're all kind of practicing on the side field, but, you know, Elijah Molden practiced all last week and didn't end up playing. So, you know, there's sort of we'll, – we'll see how those develop. But even then, like, they're down their best, you know, edge in Bradley Chubb since they traded him. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not – like, it doesn't – they're a good defense either way, but they're also not great against the run. Like, they're not – I think they're, like, 20th. Uh, some something like that bottom third of the NFL in uh, their run defense. So no matter what happens at quarterback for the Titans this week, like they're going to, tr- I mean, you would assume I, I say that I saw 17 carries for Derrick Henry when they had an eight point lead. So anything is possible. Todd Downing can find ways to mess up anything, but um, you would assume you'd get a heavy dose of Derrick Henry at home in colder weather like that that recipe sort of writes itself um but yeah like the the big story should be the titans defense versus russell wilson in that offense and that that should be a lopsided affair in in favor of the titans yeah also the broncos line has not played well at all like russell wilson's getting sacked a lot uh he's not as mobile as he used to be and we've seen what the Titans' pass rush is and has been uh, especially in that Chiefs game, they were just outstanding, but they've been really good all season. Uh, so this does feel like a mismatch um, for the Titans in the Titans' favor. Uh, and then uh, if Justin Simmons and, and Browning are out for the Broncos' defense, like I, uh, there's, the Titans really should not lose this game, especially at home. Uh, I know the Broncos are coming off a bye, but it seems like they've kind of given up. I mean, trading Bradley Chubb, who... Yeah, he's been injured, but he's still one of the more promising edge rushers in the entire league. Uh, trading him away just feels like kind of a give-up move uh, on the season, and I, I think they know that their season is kind of over, uh, which is depressing because they they expected to be like Super Bowl contenders, uh, but that's not happening. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, the, the Broncos defense is good. They play well as a unit, but if some of those guys are out, it's going to be really tough. I mean, their best player is obviously Pat Sertain. He looks like a shutdown corner, uh, but it doesn't matter because the Titans don't like to throw the ball uh, anyway. So it, it feels like a game the Titans should win, and, and I think they will. Uh, if they don't, it's going to get a little bit dicey going forward uh, with some of these games uh, coming up on their schedule. But with the Colts just completely imploding, the Jaguars being the Jaguars, I know they just won and they look a little bit better than previous years, but I don't see them making much of a run. And then the Texans are, are gunning for the number one overall pick. 
uh, yeah, the Titans are, are pretty much in complete control of the AFC South at this point. Yeah, I, I think the Colts are still somehow second in the division. Dude, because they won all of those crap games. They beat the Broncos in that li- literally one of the worst games I've ever seen yeah. in my life. Uh, and then they beat the Chiefs inexplicably, truly inexplicably. <laughs> Uh, and then they had that tie in week one that actually favors their winning percentage a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just shows you how bad the Jaguars are. That it's like the the Colts have already fired their head coach, like completely like tailspun, and they're still second in the division. Yeah. Uh, so that's oh no wait we have to do stop the nonsense excuse me <laughs> I was about to wrap this one up uh, Will do you have a stop the nonsense for us I do so this is uh, I don't know if you if anybody's seen this at it's gone pretty viral at this point but uh, this happened this afternoon so uh, somebody named the Streetum Rovers Football Club uh, have you seen this the tweet that they had today. I have so, not. I this have is uh, on November 9th. And in your, I, I don't know if it's everywhere or just European countries, they uh, put the date before the month when they're listing uh, their dates. So, for example, this is 9 11 to them. And so. Uh, oh my God. Said, I just saw it. I just saw it. <laughs> The thoughts of all at Streetham Rovers Football Club are with the American people on this, the 21st anniversary of the horrific events of 9-11. And 9-11 obviously is not funny, but the, this mix-up, you know, easily fixable. But they tweeted out a thread later, and they said, to every idiot claiming that we've got the wrong date, do you have any idea how offensive you're being? How about you get off the internet and get yourself some friends, you sad little freaks? Which, awesome response if you're right. But then their next tweet is, okay, we did actually get the date wrong, and we apologize for that. But ultimately, that shouldn't be distract, shouldn't be allowed to detract from what was a genuine and heartfelt uh, memorial message. Which I, I, I do kind of like agree with where, you know, they they were just trying to, you know, do something heartfelt and nice or you know if if we're looking at it glass half full like that's what they were trying to do they just didn't you know they just knew the numbers they didn't know the actual date and they, they tweeted that and like i kind of agree with them but at the same time you can't also have a tweet 10 minutes ago that says to every idiot claiming we've got the wrong date like you have to at least be somewhat self-aware and check yourself so that that whole thread is so funny. Like then they end it to say to everyone having a go at us uh, for this. I'd just like to humbly remind you that this that it wasn't Streetham Rovers Football Club uh, that hijacked a bunch of planes and blew them into buildings. A bit of perspective here wouldn't go amiss. We consider this the end of the matter, which is like going full heel. Like all you had to do was end it at that last message, and then there within a 20 minute stretch they turned from do you know how offensive you're being to we weren't the terrorists and it's like it's just what a colossal like i I mean failure is putting it lightly because it does turn offensive at the end but man like 
what a, what a bad day for this social media person who was just trying to get some like internet clout slash like be a nice person maybe and just absolutely ate it. Incredible stuff. I'm I'm going through the thread right now. They even put a link to their <laughs> to their home kit uh, on their website uh, to get some sales in. Uh, and then they tried to do two different spaces, uh, Twitter spaces, to, to get an apology in. One of them says, second attempt at an apology from Freedom Rovers to the USA. That is, uh, that's hilarious. Uh, good stuff there. Uh, but obviously, never forget. Never forget. Uh, so for my stuff and nonsense, uh, it, it's going to be Twitter it, it itself. Uh, because as many of you know, Elon Musk bought Twitter He's already brought about wholesale changes. He's fired people. He's asking them to come back because he doesn't realize that he actually needed them. Uh, and then I think it all happened today uh, where he rolled out this Twitter blue thing where for $8 a month, you get a blue check mark uh, on your profile, even though you're not technically uh, verified. Uh, <laughs> so but people are like completely taking advantage of this uh, and they're acting like they're fake accounts, like fake Adam Schefter. They, they, they got some people with that uh, because the checkmark looks exactly the same as a normal checkmark. And when it had initially rolled out, there was a second checkmark under the verified people's uh, handles saying that they're official. That was good. That was a checks and check and balance, you know, so you can actually realize that this person is the real person. Guess what? Two hours later, Elon Musk takes it away because it's on a tweet from like MKBHD. So, dude, this dude is unhinged and he's completely going to ruin Twitter. Like, this is really bad. Like, for a lot of us, I don't know about you and, and, and everyone, everyone else, but... I rely on Twitter for a lot of my news, and maybe that's bad, and I shouldn't do that. But a lot of reporters with, you know, verified accounts or even Schefter, Rappaport, I rely on them for a lot of my news. And now I have no idea who's who. Like, I don't. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be screwed by so many of these fake accounts if this continues, and they're gonna have to do something. But I don't know if they will because this guy is just a complete moron, honestly. Yeah, like. Everybody's like, you know, I'm going to leave Twitter and all this. And I'm like, calm down. But then stuff like this happens. And I'm like, uh, like I that was me. That was me. Yeah. I, I did not think it was going to be like anything like this. And now I'm like, OK, now I'm actually scared. Like, I, I, I wonder if he'll get bored of like the abuse and he'll just say like, OK, um, I'm going to own this. But somebody else is going to run it because this is too hard for me to pay attention to. Like, this requires too much effort and work like because he's just getting roasted over and over and like he enjoys the platform like i don't know why he would take verification away but to me that was one of like that was one of those changes it's like why like first of all everybody like before this wanted a blue check and then you're like well i'm gonna monetize it and it's like don't do that like you can make it optional to like for something else but you can't make it to where it's like you can just buy your verification because then it's like you're devaluing one of the things that you have like it would be like if you could and maybe this is coming next but it would be like if you could pay eight dollars more a month and you could have no character limit on your tweets 
it's like as, as, that is coming next. I have no doubt about that. I mean, I'm just like everything that makes Twitter unique and a good functional platform. It's like we know who's telling the truth. Like we know who is going to be held accountable because they have a blue check mark. Like those are supposed to be our trusted sources. That's why we can make fun of Ian Rappaport when he misses on something. Um, And then we're supposed to have brief bites of news that if we want to learn more, we can click a link and read more. But that you don't you don't have to exclude people that you don't agree with or create these little bubbles like you do on Facebook. You can get news from everywhere and you can follow things and do whatever, but you're not, you know, inundated with these pages and pages and pages of posts. Like it's all small brief bites, but surely the cooler heads will prevail and, you know, somebody smart will say, Hey, I can make you more money if you'll just let me do it. And then, he'll make somebody else rich off of something he should have just left alone, but it's not gone great. Yeah. To be fair, he did tweet eight hours ago. Please note that Twitter will do lots of dumb things in the coming months. We will keep what works and change what doesn't. So this dude's just going to get bullied into keeping Twitter the same. It it, it always has been. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised by that. He really just tries to be so funny and so cool. And he's just not, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, dude. Just, uh, just stop trying uh, to be that cool, funny guy. It's, uh, it's not working. Well, but. it's like he was, he was the like, the funny kid at like the preppy table, where it's like, okay, like this dude is is a little bit funnier and more irreverent, and he knows what, like he's not like a total snob and gonna stick his nose in the air. But it's like as soon as you're like, hey, come hang out with us, and then he's around normal people, you're like, oh, you're still kind of weird. You're just like the the best of that group of people and then he's like what if actually i led the classroom and i made the rules it's like no we don't want that at all <laughs> like he totally misevaluated where he was sitting and like he thought he was the cool kid at the table and not so much yeah um can't believe that's the guy who owns twitter right now but uh that's that's what the world has come to Anyway, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week to pre to sorry, to recap uh hopefully a win against the Broncos and then preview the Titans upcoming week 11 games. So for Matias, for Will, thank you for tuning in and remember to always stop the nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>